I hope you've been reading your Bibles. The book of Acts is an amazing book. I hope you've been following along to see why we're so passionate about the church. The beginning of the church was amazing, it was powerful, and I believe God is still working today. Can you say amen? amen. Take notes, okay? I'm gonna say it once, but it's up to you to take that. But maturity. We're gonna read two verses to get us going here. And usually when we do a series, the first message is an overview of where we're going, okay? So keep that in mind. We're gonna give you an overview of where we're gonna go in this next few weeks. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna read two verses out of the book of Corinthians. First Corinthians 13, verse 11, and then second Corinthians 13, verse 11. They just happen to coincide the same verse here. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reason as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Tell your other neighbor, put away childish things. Some of y'all are like, I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> the second verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Can you say amen? amen. Grow to maturity is our focus for the next few weeks. I wanna show you an image, and I just wanna see your reaction to this image. Go ahead and show me my, your image there. If you're a parent, this is one of your worst nightmares <laughs> and fears, taking your kids to the store. Any parent in the house? My wife is right here, she knows I have a personal rule. My personal rule is, if she's not around, I am not taking the kids to the store. <laughs> because I am afraid that I might lose my salvation <laughs> if I take all five of my kids to the store. And I'm Kay Verdian. If you pull one of these in the store, you might not come back home. Because <laughs> we don't believe in timeout, we believe in knockout. Right, this is one of the worst nightmares for a parent. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right, like a public tantrum <laughs> makes me nervous. I'm anxious, I, I've seen it, I've seen parents struggle like this and I'm like praying for them. And I wanna get in there and be like, can we take them to the bathroom? <laughs> But you know, when a kid throws a tantrum, you know, it's, it's the worst, but you kind of like, in a sense, are not fully surprised because you're gonna expect kids to throw tantrums because they, they're developing, right? They, 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 they walk into the store fine. Have you noticed that? They're fine when they walk in. The problem is when they hear that toy. And you said, not today. And it's like, Chucky comes out. Right, like, you, you expect that because you know like their brain can't compute yet that 
what do you mean no? Like I need this right now, my life is about to end if I don't have this Play-Doh. Like, like the whole life is based on this thing that mom said, you can't have that right now. So we kind of give them a pass, right? And we keep working on them. But what happens when adults throw tantrums? <laughs> throw my second image up. <laughs> Remember when these memes were popular a few years ago? Right? You're a grown adult, aren't you? Well, the temper tantrum must have thrown me off. It's amazing that you still have adults throwing tantrums. And when I say that, we all get quiet because we all like, not me. I am a refined adult. I do not throw tantrums. I beg to differ. Because I'm seeing a lot of kids who grew up physically, but didn't grow up emotionally and spiritually, and they're throwing tantrums as grown man and grown woman. This series for me started back when COVID began. This series was, it started way back because during COVID, I don't know if you realize this, but during COVID, I feel like as humans, we were exposed. Like a lot of stuff got exposed during COVID. Why? Because we all walk into the store fine. But then when things start not going our way, the story begins to change. Right? And we begin to realize that maybe we're not as mature as we thought we were. If you take your notes, adversity has a way of exposing who we truly are. It's not until the heat gets turned on that you realize what's really in me. We don't know what we truly are until we go through trials. See, kids are fine when they're going to the store. The problem is, is when they see something and mom said no. And they'll give you a good thumbs up going into the store. Because you know, we all parents, we have that conversation, you know, we're gonna go into the store. And we're just gonna grab a couple of things. And they're like, yes, mom. And then that urge takes over and they don't have the emotional capacity to handle the fact that they're not gonna get their way. And I think that's what trials do to grown men and women. We're fine until adversity hits and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a situation of throwing tantrums. Now, when I say that, obviously everybody's different, but during COVID I saw so many different types of tantrums. Because COVID didn't just, didn't just bring a virus, right? It was during COVID that we had political tension. It was during COVID that we had racism tension. It was during COVID that we had theological tension. And so depending on your personality, I saw so many different ways of people showing that their emotions are not really in check. Because some throw loud tantrums, like political tantrums. Like you thought you knew your neighbor until you voted completely different from them. Right? People through social media tantrums. 
you thought you knew Jimmy and Jimmy starts having cap lock everything. <laughs> and worst, you, we saw theological tantrums. People who thought they were more woke than you, <laughs> or you're not woke enough for them. People who thought they were more American than you are <laughs> because you vote a certain way and they don't. Like we saw so many types of tantrum of people who normally walk into a store civilized. And all of a sudden their buttons were pushed and we just ran with it. Not to mention how we all handle the virus differently. Some of us said, I'm just gonna stay home. Some of us are like, how can you stay home? I mean, we were all over the place when it comes to not thinking that we are in control, which the funny thing about it is that it just exposed the reality that none of us are in control. It exposed that there's a lot of things we have zero control over, just like the kid who walked into a store and loses his mind because his self-control is next to nothing. Problem is the kids grow up. You have no control of how you grow up physically, but you have control of how you grow up emotionally and spiritually. I always wanted to be 6'2". So I wanted to be able to dunk. Just wanted to be 6'2". I'm like, just 6'2", I don't want to be too big, God. Just 6'2". And it never happened. I had my growth spurt really late. Like I have another sister, my middle sister was taller than me, it used to drive me nuts. I'm like, I'm older than you, why is she taller than me? And it's not like you can do anything about that. Right? And people say, what's wrong with you, are you not growing? It's like, I don't know, I want to. <laughs> Wish I could control it, I'd be a 6'2". I got the 5'11 and I got capped. So I say I'm six feet, just right there. But I remember the day that I walked into school, it was after summer, and I walked in, it was, it was my senior year, you know, you, you spent three months not seeing anybody, and then the first person that saw me that morning was the nurse of the school, and she goes, oh my God, you grew! And I was like, oh my God, this is the best day of my life! I had no idea I was growing, but I have no control over my physical growth. But you realize after a while that, what about emotionally and spiritually? It's one thing to grow physically, but are we growing emotionally and spiritually? Because here's the thing with tantrums. They come in different shapes and forms. Some people are loudly in their tantrum. And some people, are, they'll give you the quiet tantrum. You ever been hit with the passive aggressive tantrum? <laughs> right? right, like we all do it differently. There are, there are those who are refined in their immaturity. They'll just roll their eyes. <laughs> they don't have to be loud. Just being quiet is a tantrum. Hello, somebody. You can be quiet and throw a tantrum in your marriage. What's wrong? Nothing. I wish something was wrong. <laughs> At least we can talk about it. Hey, that's the worst thing you want. Like you walk in the house and you know something's up. Y'all ain't gonna talk, you're gonna leave me up here by myself. That's messed up. Walk in the house, you know something's up, and you're like, something's up. And you try to, you try to dance to your way around it. What's up, babe, what's going on, what's good? And no matter what you hit, nothing is hitting. 
What's wrong? Nothing. That's not my house, by the way. I'm just saying. It's what happens. There's many types of tantrums. But the bottom line of tantrums is it's what do we do when we don't get our way? That happens in marriages. That happens in work. Right? You give your boss the nod, but in your heart, you're like, bless you. Bless you. It happens in churches. Sometimes I'm in church, people are like this. I'm like, I don't know what I did, but I must have done something. (laughs) People want to, they'll let you know with their face. Okay, I'm not going to let you know with my mouth, but my face is telling you, not happy. (laughs) All kinds of tantrums when we don't get our way, right? So I want to talk to us about growing up a little bit, right? And, 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 if, and if you believe you're mature, then, then entertain me for the next few weeks, because I need to grow up a little bit, because I saw that I need to do some growing up during COVID. I saw that there are things that, that I get in here on a deeper level that only crises reveal. Because you don't know you, are, you have stuff to work on until you are in a crisis, until you are in adversity. And I believe this with all my heart, the real us comes out in adversity. So I, I entertain you for a little bit. Paul, the apostle, is writing to a church in a city named Corinth. And I, and I like this, this church because it's a port city church, just like ours. And, 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 and it was a progressive church in a progressive place, just like ours. We live in the state of Massachusetts, right? And I was just in Alabama in a church conference and I was talking to one of the men from there. I'm like, listen, y'all in Alabama, we're different. Like we in the Northeast, y'all. It's a different type of beast. And he's like, say no more, I know. He's like, I know you guys are dealing with something completely different than we're dealing here in the state of Alabama. Sweet home. (laughs) But the reality is, though, is that humans are humans no matter where we are. So Paul is writing to a church that was growing physically. It was one of the biggest churches of the first century, but they were struggling growing emotionally and spiritually. Their physical growth was not matching their emotional and spiritual growth. And then I fast forward 21st century later, I'm like, man, it's not that different. We might grow physically in numbers, but are we growing in spirit and truth? Are we growing in emotions? Are we growing in the things of God as God intended? Can you say amen? So here Paul, he writes, which by the way, on Wednesday night, I'll break down the outline of this book. But the purpose of the book was that, listen, we need to do some growing up here because you guys got a lot of stuff going on that doesn't match the reality of who you're supposed to be in Christ. So he gets to this place in in 1 Corinthians 13, and we all are familiar with with the love chapter, but after he says what love is and how they're supposed to live by love, he says, when I was a child. It takes him 13 chapters to build this premises that, guys, you need to grow up a little bit. And he says, here's the signs of immaturity, right? He says, the sign of immaturity is that, is, is three things, right? It's when you talk like a child. What is the vocabulary of a, of a kid? 
Give me mine. And I'm not your friend anymore. Tell me that's not what we've seen in the last 16 months. Give me mine. And if not, I'm not your friend anymore. Because you don't vote like me. You don't worship like me. You don't talk like me. And we say we're all grown up. We're still talking like we're in the playground. Marking our territory. (laughs) Blocking people on Facebook. We don't talk like you. (laughs) Quiet in this mature church. (laughs) And then he says, we think like a child. How does a child think? A child believes that everyone is here to serve him or her. Like a child believes he wakes like I have five of them. My little one wakes up in the morning and goes, I want breakfast. I don't care what you're doing, all your night was, I want breakfast right now. And I wonder, have we really grown up from that? Why is it that 50% of marriages of grown adults hand in divorce? It revolves around me. Why aren't you doing me? Why am I not happy? You're supposed to make me happy. I don't care how you feel, it's how I feel. We think like kids. Then we reason, this is, the, this is the one that really gets me. Paul says we reason like children. What is reasoning? It's how you process things. How does a child process things? A child is me-centered worldview. So everything that happens to a child he processes through, this is how he makes me feel. I don't care how you feel, mom, dad, uncle, stranger at Target. <laughs> it's, this is how this makes me feel. What is the greatest God of this generation is feelings. Here's how you make me feel. Not, here's the facts. Here's the truth. No, here's how I feel. If there is an idol in our generation, it's feelings. It's in the church. We worship God based on our feelings, not on the reality of who he is. We pray when we feel like praying. And we come to church when we feel like coming to church. And then we wonder, where, where's God? Where's God? You're telling me the virus didn't jack us up? 16 months later, some people still haven't come back to church. Because we're reasoning like children. All logic in a kid's mind points to himself. And what is wrong with everyone else? <laughs> Reminds you the story of the woman who wants to go see his son graduate from the academy and they're all marching, they're doing the marching and, and his son is offbeat. The mom said, look, my son is the only one doing it right. <laughs> oh, 
Reminds me of Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, the comedian, said, you know, a lot of times parents think the kids are so smart. And you're like, oh my gosh, my kid is amazing. Look what he can do. He doodles. He's amazing. And he's like, you think your kid is so smart because he's always by himself. But said, take your kid and put him around some smart kids. You might find your kid might not be that smart. (laughs) Because all you're seeing is a me-centered worldview. So indulge me, I'm trying to grow up. I'm trying to talk less like a kid, unless I'm talking to my kids. (laughs) You still gotta use their language a little bit, bring them up. But my friends, please write this down. Maturity is not the ability to point out the issues. Because <laughs> we got a lot of Captain Obvious in our society right now. Thinking that's maturity. I need to tell you how I... It's like, we already know. <laughs> tell us something we don't know. Maturity is not pointing out the issues. Maturity is working on the issues. <laughs> Once in a while, I get a Captain Obvious. Pastor Mark, you know what's wrong with the church? I'm like, you only saw one thing? <laughs> There's about 100 things wrong. Problem is, would you help me fix these things or you're gonna be part of the problem Amen. by just pointing out the issues? <laughs> A lot of spiritual Captain Obvious in our day and age. This is what's wrong with the church. It's like, yeah, what are you doing about it? Because I'm glad we have a savior. We didn't say, hey, this was wrong with Charlie. He says, I'm going to work with you on this so we can get to a better place because I'm not here to point out the, the, the issues. I'm here to point out the solutions to the issues. So my friends, when you, I hope you really read the New Testament or we're going through it in 60 days. I hope you really read it because I need you to see for yourself the reality of what it means to be a church. Because I think we have a romantic idea of church that's not real when you read the scriptures. Go, I hope you pay attention to every letter written into the New Testament churches was A, it starts with praise God, you saints. So thankful you're saved. Then, now let's get to work. Y'all got work to do. Every single one of them starts that way. The Corinthians is no different. Paul starts, go read it. Man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so, celebrate your, 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 your understanding of salvation. But y'all are jacked up. <laughs> Let's work on these things. Paul doesn't just point out the problem. He's trying to lead them to a solution to the problem. Can you say amen? amen. Listen, here's how I look at church. It's like being invited to a friend's house for dinner. Everybody behaves. Why you ever been invited to a friend's house and you're like, oh my God, I wish my house was like this. They're so nice. (laughs) They don't scream, they don't yell. Pass me the potato, Jamie. (laughs) Yeah, that's because you got invited to a dinner. Now try living with that family. They may not be the reality. See, that's how I think about church. Churches, can you live within a family because a family has issues, has battles, has struggles, but guess what? That's what a family is. Can you imagine living with someone who tells you every day what's wrong with you? 
but they have no problems? Are you, are you catching what I'm trying to say? Every church has issues. Maturity is not the ability to point the issues. Maturity is the ability to work on the issues. So I want to use just this one church to show you what Paul was trying to do. I'll do it today. I'll do it Wednesday. But I want to show you what Paul was trying to take them to, lead them to, to say, guys, you got you to grow up a little bit in your, in your talk, in your thinking, and in your reasoning. So let me show you what maturity is not before we get to what maturity is. All right. Using just this one book, Paul says, first thing is, Paul says maturity is not knowledge. It's not knowledge. Here's an example. In, 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 in the eighth chapter, he says, now regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, one of the struggles of the first century church, if you're reading Acts, you'll see this. People are getting saved into the church, but they had idols that they would worship and they would sacrifice meals to idols. So one of the struggles, okay, how, what do we do with this? Paul was trying to help them understand, listen, it's not one size fits all. If you don't feel convicted, go ahead and eat the meat because we know who gave you the meat. It's not the idols, it's God. But if you struggle with that, then don't do it, but then don't make others stumble if you feel like you can do it. Are you tracking? So he's like, look, regarding your questions about, about food being offered to idols, right? Which, by the way, they had a meeting in Acts 15. It's one of my favorite chapters in Acts. They had a meeting about this because they're like, yo, what do we do with these Gentiles getting saved? They, you should sacrifice to idols. What do we do? He's like, okay, tell them to not indulge in eating meat sacrificed to idols and to avoid sexual immorality. He says, those two things. Then he says this, he says, let's not make it hard for people to follow God. And instead of putting 200 rules in front of them, he says, okay, listen, it's probably best that they don't touch the idols and then they stop sleeping around because God's will for them is to be in marriage in holy matrimony. Can you say amen in this 21st century church? Because we don't have the issue of sacrificing the idols, but here we are, we're having issues with sex. If you're paying attention. We talked about that last week and we talked about that during Mark. But watch this, right? Paul says, yes, we know, watch this, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. So maturity is not knowledge. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, I just need to know a lot about the Bible and I'm gonna be an amazing disciple. And we should know a lot about the Bible. We're reading through the Bible again. I hope you are. But the reality is knowledge by itself does not lead to maturity. There's a lot of people who know a lot of things but they don't do anything but what they know. And worse, they don't help anybody with their knowledge. All they do is self-feed and look down on everybody else who doesn't have the knowledge that they have. You think that doesn't happen? We see it in church all the time. People are like, you know, uh, I already know all those things. That's for like new believers. It's like if you knew, then you should be helping new believers, not looking down on them. I'm telling you, the level of immaturity that I see among believers just jacks me up. Because it's like you think God's giving you all this knowledge so you, to, so you can lift up your nose. 
If your knowledge doesn't lead to loving people and leading them and helping them and blessing them and strengthening them in their weaknesses, then your knowledge means jack. Because that's one of the things I hear once in a while. You know, you, that, that's just, that's just, that's just, you know. We don't say it that way, but, you know, we can smell it. We can smell it on people. Oh, you think your knowledge makes you so such much. No, if your knowledge doesn't lead to wisdom, because knowledge is just information. Wisdom is how to apply the information that you have. You ever go to school with kids who are book smart, but if you put them on the street, they'll lose their minds. <laughs> Say, what do, do? what do I do? Where's the book? <laughs> how do I catch an Uber? <laughs> right? Because knowledge is not enough. So maturity is not knowing a lot of things. It's what you do or what you know. Can you say amen? We all know. The reality is, can we, can we stop for a second? We all know what we need to do. Question is, are we doing it? Right now, I can stop right here. I believe God has already spoken to us. We all know what we need to go home and do. Problem is, there's a gap between what we know and what we're doing. So knowledge is not maturity. Maturity is what you're doing with the knowledge. Can you say amen? amen? Here's the second thing. Paul says to them that knowledge is not status. I mean, maturity is not status. We all know someone who has a status, but they ain't leading nobody. Matter of fact, you work for somebody like that. What's this? He says in Corinthians 1, he says, look, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. He's like, man, you are much. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Paul was saying, listen, y'all forgot who you were when God called you? Hurting, broken, strung out, all of a sudden now you think you're something that you're not? Like, that's incredible to me how quickly we forget. <laughs> and you know what humans, we're so funny. We have amnesia about the things we want to have amnesia. There are things we should forget, but there are things we should never forget. We should never forget where we were when God rescued us and healed us and transformed us. Because then, when you meet someone who is getting started, it should trigger that reality that, man, that was me not long ago, that God took me from where I was, and he took me to where I am today, so I'm not going to look down on you, I'm going to pull you up to help you get to where you're supposed to be, because I'm not too important to bless and to help another human being just like me. Man, if I can get the church to understand that. Because we get to a place where it's just like, what else can I get? But it's like, that was never the point. <laughs> Worse is when you give someone a title who is immature. Because now that title gets to the head. <laughs> you see people do all kinds of jacked up stuff when they have a title where their maturity is not ready to handle the title. Like, you're, you're friends with your boy, and then they made him supervisor. 
Now he thinks he runs you. He's like, yo, what, I thought, what happened? Well, what status got to your head? You don't have the maturity to handle the status. Man, this Baptist church is getting quiet on me. <laughs> Paul goes on to say, look, Paul says maturity is not seniority. I've been here. Go ahead and insert your own numbers of years you've been here. I remember when I first got saved, me and my boys, off the street, got saved. One of the guys from church was like, you know how long I've been doing this? You guys don't fool me. I'm like, wait, what? What does that mean? I thought you were here to bless us, to help us. You let your seniority get the best of you, that's so immature, because you've been here. So what? Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to, to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world, or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Keep going. And you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. We don't have jealousy in church. <laughs> you know what's funny? I hear once in a while, church is all, you guys are all about numbers, you're all about this. It's like, I never heard that from another pastor who has a bigger church. I don't know, I don't know, I'm just. And, and, and for some reason, big churches have all the problems. <laughs> Not small churches. Big families don't have the same issues little families do, though, don't they? No, no, they don't. I don't know. I'll just keep reading the Bible. <laughs> you are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. You know what quarrel is, right? <laughs> Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, no, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? It's like, you've been here, and you're like, no, I like this leader, I like that leader. Paul's like, wait, what? That's how the world talks. What are you doing? Taking sides. Don't you know the moment you took side, we lost? We all lost. The moment you start to do that, you're dividing. You're not uniting. People at work taking sides with the supervisors to overthrow the boss. It's like, that's what the world does. God, people don't work like that. That's immaturity. To think... Oh, this person, and that one, and that one, or that one. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's your feeling speaking. That's not, the, that's not God's will. We all have personal preferences. A part of immaturity is learning to discern personal preferences from biblical preferences. Not the same thing. Keep going. Maturity is not spiritual superiority. Some people think they've arrived. <laughs> it's like, man, you, that cannot be further from the truth. Watch this. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Once in a while you hear someone say, 
man, I led that person to Jesus. He's like, yeah, you and a hundred other people who planted along the way. You just happened to close the deal, but you know how many people God has used along the way to get this person to where he is right now? Or I pray and that person got healed. Wait, wait, what? You, you did that? <laughs> then let's line up every sick people in the world. <laughs> no, it's God working through us. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. That's the beauty of this church. We believe that we're planting from the parking lot. That person is as important as the person who's on, is doing media right now, who's, who's helping the kids right now, who leads ministry right now. It's all. And both will be rewarded, both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field, you are, you are God's building. It's not, I'm up here and you're over there. It's like, no, Jesus levels the playing field. You could be in church for 20 years and a person walks in today for the first time. Now, the fact if you're in 20 years, you should care about the one who was here for one Sunday. And one more thing, maturity is not, Paul says, maturity is not one size fits all. When he's talking about the body, he says, listen, we are like a body, right? We have many parts. Look what he says. He says about the spiritual gifts God gives us. He says, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. God works in different ways. One of the spiritual immaturity that I see in the church is that people want other people to have their own experiences instead of trusting that God has unique experiences for each and every one of us. That was part of my spiritual immaturity when I got saved. I wanted everybody to have the same exact experience as I did. It took me years to undo that immaturity because I thought this is how it should happen to everybody. And then I met my wife in college and she started telling me her story. We have completely different stories, but the same God works in all of us. I didn't grow up in the church, she did. It's a different story. And I see it all the time. So-called spiritual mature people who want everybody to act like they do, to talk like they do, to pray like they do, to worship the same way they do, to read the Bible the same way they do, and then we call them immature, but the reality is the immature person is the one who wants to shape people into their likeness, not God's likeness. Here's the reality. There's many ways to define maturity. So I'm just gonna give you one that I feel resonates well. But you can add to it, right? Maturity to me is this. A mature person is faithful and fruitful as their true selves in Jesus. A mature person is faithful, fruitful, as their true selves, not a version of someone that they want you to be. As a pastor, I struggle with this. There are a lot of people who want me to preach a certain way. How come you don't talk about this? How come you don't do that? How come we're not doing this ministry? How come we're not doing this? And it's like, wait a minute. If I conform to all of you, I'm gonna be Frankenstein in ministry. So you know what? I've decided long ago, Jesus, 
I want to be the person who is faithful and fruitful as the person you created me to be, now who Sally thinks I should be. And the funny thing is, those people tell you, why don't you do this or do that? Next thing you know, they moved on to another church. It's like, hey, we just started doing that thing you told us to do. And you're not here to help. <laughs> Listen, maturity, the word that Paul uses here, if you take notes, it can have a diff- couple of different meanings. It's to be fully restored or to be your complete self. That's what the word maturity means here. It says, hey, I want you to be fully restored back to the image of God and to be fully yourself. Which I'll talk about this in a few weeks that I think to get to a place when you are fully yourself, ah, that's the gospel. Because we have a lot of false humility in the church. You know what's so hard it is about the church sometimes? You tell someone you did a good job and you think you cursed them out. Oh, I mean, you just such a good, no, 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 not me, not me. Please, it's like, why can't you just say thank you? Why do we have such a hard time just saying, oh, thank you? Because I know when you say thank you, you're thanking him. So don't worry about the false humility. No, 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 me. So I decided I'm not going to tell you a good job anymore. Maybe I should tell you you did a terrible job. Oh, praise God. There's a lot of false humility. Like, we just can't just accept the fact that, hey, you did a good job. Guess what? God blessed you to do a good job. We know it wasn't you, so just say thank you. And when you say thank you, we know you're thanking him because you know you don't have what it takes to do what you did. That's amazing when you pull that off. <laughs> you know, and then there's, because, you know, insecurity reflects in two ways. You can have a superiority complex and you can have an inferiority complex. It depends on your personality. Some people will make sure you know, you know what I just did? <laughs> or worse is when people have to remind you remember if someone says to you do you know who I am it's like wait you don't <laughs> if someone has to ask you do you know who I am they're lost they're trying to they, they, they're asking for help help me understand who I am so listen maturity is to be fully restored in your complete self but this is a get this this is a lifetime process. I know we live in a microwave society where things should happen like this, but the reality is God does his best work later in life. Go read the Bible. Some of the best work God does in Abraham was when Abraham gave up on himself. Now that's a word. When you stop trying on your own, God's like, now I got you. Go look at Moses. When Moses decided to, to, to take matters into his own hands, God's like, I'm taking my hands off of you. When you're ready, I'm going to use you. I gave a talk to our young adults. I don't think they appreciated it. <laughs> I said, you're going to live your best life when you're 30 years old. And they all look at me like, 30 years old, that's like, that's like seven years from now. Yeah, I really believe you're going to live your best life 30 years from now. But what you're doing right now is going to, it's going to determine who you're going to be 30 years, seven years from now. <laughs> Funny thing is, Jesus, the Son of God, waited, waited in obscurity for 30 years 
until God said it's time for you to go public. But what was he doing? He was being the person that you see in public because if you don't build yourself in private, your public life will catch up to you sooner or later. You want to know why this, this message is so important? If you pay attention to the church world, every other month we hear about a leader who fell from grace. And you're like, if maturity was knowledge, these people should be top-notch mature people. I don't know if you pay attention, but one of the smartest Christian person that we've known in our day and age, we come to find out he had another life. It's like, wait, this is the smartest dude I've ever heard speak. And then we find out three, four years of another life. What happens? It happens that we're not catching up to what we say we know versus what we're doing in the private. It's one thing for me to get up here and be like, hey, look at me, Pastor Marco. It's like, no, there's no Pastor Marco if there's no Pastor Marco behind closed doors. It's just a show. So what do you do in a private to be faithful and fruitful as your true self. So the next few weeks, I wanna share some principles, because like I said, it's not size one size fits all. Everybody's different, everybody's unique. You have to trust where God's leading you. So these are the principles we're gonna break down in the next few weeks. And the worship team, you can come out. Again, this is an overview of where we're going. Here's some mature principles. A mature person feeds himself. Mature person would never come downstairs and says, where's my breakfast? Once in a while you hear people in church go, I'm not being fed. It's like, wait, how old are you? <laughs> I was celebrating the day that my young, older kids started feeding themselves. <laughs> now, four out of five are feeding themselves. You know how awesome that morning is? I got one to go. And I'm working on him every day to get him to feed himself. It's the most immature thing I hear from so-called mature believers. I'm not being fed. It's like, how old are you? Open your mouth. We gave all of you a, a, a New Testament brochure. Are you eating? Because... I feed myself. My soul is my responsibility. Number two, I help to feed others because I know that some don't have the ability yet to feed themselves and, and it's my responsibility. I'll talk about this next Sunday. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. If you're a mature human being. Yes, you are. Number three, I am emotionally grounded. You know how hard that is? I'm 43. If I can tell you one thing I'm focusing the most is this number three. To be emotionally grounded because man, life will throw you all over the place if you're not grounded. Where feelings is not my God. Feelings come and go, but they're not gonna determine my life. Number four, I am a doer of the word. I don't just hear the word. Do what the word says. Because a spiritual mature person is obedient to the word. Five, I welcome responsibility. A mature person says, bring it here. 
not deflect. One of the struggles of COVID is that we, we gave people reasons to not work. Now nobody wants to work. Why? Because the government says, I'll be your God. Now we got a problem. We got more work than workers. What's going to happen when that check runs out? No, I welcome responsibility. I tell our leaders all the time, you're not a leader if you're deflecting responsibility. You say, bring it here. Bring it here. Keep going. Oh, this is a tough one. I aim to be righteous, not right. Who aims to be right? Children. If you aim to be right, you ruin your marriage. You aim to be right, you will ruin your company. The best companies who have the best return on their investment are the ones who understand, I'm here to serve. Number seven, I am at peace with my limitations. That's a good one. That's, that's, a, that's a worthy goal. Can I be okay with my limitations so that I'm not projecting something that I'm not? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to say this publicly. This is all you're going to get. This is who I am. I'm telling you, and I'm serious. I ain't trying to be nobody else. The worst version of myself is me. And I'm the worst version of someone else's understanding of me. Eight, I embrace, oh, close your eyes and receive. <laughs> I embrace correction and accountability. Everybody thinks they're mature until they get checked. Isn't that funny? Everybody talks a good game until they get, hey, let's talk about that. I love this one. I'm developing a thick skin, but a soft heart. If you don't discern that, you, you will reverse it. You'll develop a thick heart, a callous heart, a heart that doesn't receive, a heart that's always stiff-arming others. As parents, that's what we don't want for our children. We don't want them to develop a, a thick heart. That's why we're constantly teaching them. By the way, nothing has taught me more about discipleship than having five kids. I don't have to go to seminary. I am a seminary. <laughs> and lastly, which ties in everything, I enjoy abiding in Jesus. I wanted to save the best for last because if you don't abide in Jesus, none of that works. Jesus said, when you abide in me and I abide in you, my words abide in me, you will produce much fruit. That's how you become faithful and fruitful is by abiding. Everything comes out of abiding in Jesus. Can I tell you something, church? You can come to church, do the church thing, punch in and punch out. It means nothing if you're not abiding in Jesus. 
That's why I love the altar because it's about abiding. It's about standing, standing with him and saying, say, cut some things off of me. Show me where I'm immature. And point me in the right direction. Lead me down the path of righteousness for your name's sake. That's the whole purpose of why we're here. Some of us who are honest enough will be like, God, man, I've been talking like a kid in my marriage. No amens. (laughs) I've been reasoning it like a child, God. Grow me up a little bit. Grow me up a little bit. Hey, I need you to go back to one last verse as we end. Go back to Proverbs 29, verse 18. It's important. What is the vision that you have for your soul? Because usually when you talk to people, everybody has a plan for everything else. We got a plan for how we're gonna buy a house. We got a plan for for our portfolio. Some people are like, in five years, I'm gonna be a millionaire. Like, we got a plan for, for all of that. But funny thing is, the thing that will last forever is your soul. Do you have a plan for it? What is your plan to grow your soul? In other words, what's your vision for you? as a human being, not as an entrepreneur or a businessman or this or that, no, for you. Because guess what, that that businessman, the entrepreneur will only go as far as your soul goes. So where, the Bible says where there's no vision, no revelation of God and his word, the people are unrestrained. In other words, you'll run a while. You gotta have a plan. How am I gonna grow? Because you grow physically, by osmosis, but you grow emotionally and spiritually on purpose. You grow because you are intentional about growing. Once in a while I get a young kid who wants to do what I do. My question for them is, are you willing to do what I did? Because everybody wants to do what you did, but they don't want to did what you do. So I don't think God trusts you to get up here without doing some work and still working. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? The goal is maturity. The goal is to grow on purpose. It's a lifelong process. God does his best work later in life. But I believe right now he positions you for what's to come. He's never in a rush, by the way. God is never in a rush. He takes his time. And if we be honest, maturity happens gradually. That summer, I had no idea I was growing. <laughs> I hadn't seen anybody. I saw the nurse. She gave me the best news of all time. You grew. <laughs> and guess what? That's how it happens. In three months from now, someone says, man, you, you're talking different. You're acting different. And the best compliment is when it comes from people who live with you because they really know you. They're like, wow, you're not throwing a tantrum taking out the garbage. <laughs> I don't know what that's for. <laughs> Just receive it. Why would I want to want to do the dishes? You ever watch that movie, The Breakup? <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines of all time. Why would I want to want to, because you're a mature human being. <laughs> would you bow your heads with me as we pray? You know, everything we talk about here hinges on the fact that we've surrendered our lives to Jesus. 
that he's Lord, he's Savior, he's God, that everything flows out of that. So if you've never trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, I pray you make today the day. Only you can repent of your sins. Only you can trust them. Only you can let go of your old to embrace the new. Just being in church does not make you a believer. It's about surrendering and trusting that he's faithful to forgive you, to empower you, and then to put you on the path of spiritual maturity. And today, if you decide to follow Jesus, we would love to connect with you. After we pray, if you want to connect with us, you can come and pray with us. Or you can, in the back, there's people who have a sign that says, ask me about a free Bible. We have a room in the back. And in forever, we have a table in the back. We'd love to connect with you, pray with you, give you a Bible, and, put, and set you up on the journey of walking with the Lord. But let's pray together. We're going to open up the altar. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit is here. Only your Spirit can confirm your word in our hearts. God, I pray today we are choosing to grow up a little bit. God, I pray, Lord, that we allow you to get into that place that you want to get in our lives. I pray we allow you today to mold us, to shape us in your image and likeness. God, I pray that there's a longing in us to abide in you and your word abide in us that we may bear much fruit. God, I pray that today we are resolving in our spirit to, to be who you called us to be, faithful and fruitful as our true selves. Spirit of God, come and fall fresh on us as we seek you. May your Holy Spirit have your way with each and every one of us. God, I pray we as a church are making a conscious decision to grow in maturity in the name of Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. And we all said... Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.